I'd like to welcome our speaker for today, Susan Jones, Senior Risk Management Consultant here at MICA. Sue has worked in the healthcare field for over 22 years as a healthcare risk management stroke patient safety specialist, researcher and educator. Sue has garnered extensive experience as a clinical risk manager for hospitals and trauma centres and also managed a 12-physician outpatient paediatric and adolescent practice where she helped train the practice staff in in operating an electronic medical record. Sue earned a bachelor's degree magna cum laude from Temple University in Philadelphia and obtained her nursing license in 1997. She also holds a certificate in paralegal studies from the Harris School of Business, obtained her Six Sigma training in 2010 and became a certified professional in healthcare risk management in 2013. Over to you, Sue. Welcome to the Mutual Insurance Company of Arizona's Every Chart Tells a Story, a documentation webinar reducing risk with appropriate documentation. The objectives of the program today are to name three elements of good documentation, two examples of poor documentation, explain the professional liability risk associated with copying and pasting, and describe effective ways to capture phone, text, and email communications in the medical record. So I'm just gonna give you some examples of through life charting that we have seen in our physician practices. This is a situation where the patient comes in complaining of a rash and an infection on their left cheek times four weeks. Also has a mole on his back that he would like to get evaluated. And then the medical assistant writes, patient complaining of rash for two weeks on his left cheek for two weeks. He also developed a rash in his left axilla under the skin fold on the right side of the chest. The patient is not on any medications. So as you can see from the highlighted yellow, that's what this, the patient subjectively had told the medical assistant. But if you see what's highlighted in blue under skin in the electronic medical record, the provider documented that the patient denied rash, itching, soreness, or bruising. Clearly, uh, this, is contra this is a contraindication because the patient was complaining of a rash, yet we're documenting in the medical records that the patient is denying the rash. So these contradict one another. So a second example is of where the patient came in and their chief complaint was they were complaining of dizziness and lightheadedness. And as you will see from the highlighted medical record, again, we have the provider putting in there under ear, nose, and throat that the patient is denying hearing loss, pain, vertigo, or tinnitus. And for those of us who know, vertigo is a, a medical term for dizziness or lightheadedness. And so again, we have a contradiction. A contradiction here in the medical record. And so these are just very simple um, examples of how we can get in trouble with our medical record documentation, especially in an electronic medical record where you're choosing drop-down boxes. So an error in litigation. This is a real life story too, again, of a defendant physician who examined a, a patient post-mastectomy of their left breast. The defendant mistakenly documented in the electronic medical record that both of the patient's breasts were normal. Nine months later, another physician identified a suspicious lesion on the right breast resulting in a right mastectomy and chemotherapy. The patient sued the physician who tried to explain the documentation was inaccurate. Inaccurate documentation affected the defendant's credibility and the case was settled. Clearly, the patient had had a left breast removed, but we documented in the medical record that both breasts were normal, which was not the case. And here is an omission in litigation where a hospitalist requested that the neurosurgeon 
during the early morning hours to review a diagnosis. Um, the patient died and the, the plaintiff was sued. The plaintiff alleged the defendant was too sleepy when he was called at home and hastily rendered a diagnosis with minimal documentation. The point of contention here was not whether the defendant was too sleepy to provide a reasonable prudent care, uh, but whether it was appropriately documented. So again, these are just very short, sweet examples of situations that can turn into litigation. So the medical record is very important. It's not only a communication tool for the entire healthcare team, but it's just one piece of evidence of the care that's provided. Physicians are advanced healthcare professionals control what's going on during the patient's care, and they need to document the effects of the, uh, their care in, uh, for professional liability risk. So uh, you wanna be able to document to the point where not so much that you, when you read it, you understand it, but somebody else picks up that record, they can memorialize the care of that patient. So credibility affects your memory and your documentation. Memories are affected by time, circumstances, physical health, pain, stress, et cetera. What, what we often say is but by the time a, a claim is filed and it becomes a lawsuit or a case, it could be several years down the road, two, three, four, five years down the road, and you probably won't remember that patient unless they were really um, a difficult patient to deal with. And so it's going to be your documentation that you're relying on um, to, to kind of refresh your memory as to what was going on with the patient. So you want to make sure that your documentation was timed and dated and that you were uh, contemporaneously uh, documenting exactly what was going on with the patient. Um, because it, like I said, it could be days, weeks, or even years later before you return to that medical record and try to memorialize the care that was rendered to that patient. So you also wanna have a care plan support. So in, when we're reviewing doctor, doctor records, we're often looking for a variety of things. You wanna see, is there a current health history? Is there a review of symptoms or a SOAP note, otherwise you know, subjective, objective action plan? Are there checklists for medication, for problems? Um, do you have tests, procedures, and referrals and follow-ups to make sure that the patient's getting those tests, those procedures, and those referrals? And what is, are you documenting? What is your plan of care and the treatment of this patient? So you wanna make sure, again, that your documentation is accurate. It's timely, it's contemporary, it's legible. You wanna make sure you have a current health history and not a history that's you know, several years old. If this is a new patient to your practice, you wanna make sure that you've incorporated past medical records from other physicians the patient was seeing so that you have a full and complete medical record for the patient. You wanna be able to diagnose your differential diagnosis if you don't exactly know what's going on with the patient. You could say, I suspect it could be this, but it may be this, and you wanna, um, document that thought process that you have as to how you are uh, arriving at these conclusions. You wanna make sure you're documenting follow-up care and the need for return visits, even if it's as needed. Um, say the patient comes in, you've taken care of their problem. There's no other issues going on. They don't need to come back and see you unless something else arises. You would just put in there again, document uh, patient to follow up PR or as needed. But if there is follow-up care, you wanna make sure you have a tracking system in place to make sure that the patient is followed up on and that they don't get lost through the cracks. You wanna make sure you're documenting the patient's health concerns and their questions and how you've answered them. Any medications they're on and re refills prescribed. You wanna make sure that you are documenting the lab tests, 
in the consults and the referrals and also documenting the results of those ordered lab tests, consults and referrals. Any phone calls that you're getting from the patient or the patient's family member and any email or text messaging that you're doing with the patient. And we'll talk a little bit more about emails and texts in a little bit. You wanna make sure that your return visits within a specified time frame or as needed as I stated earlier. You wanna make sure that if you're doing any kind of procedures um, that you get informed consent or informed refusal and this be in writing from the patient. Um, so informed refusal is as important as informed consent and you wanna make sure that you're spelling out the risk benefits and alternatives of the, the, the procedure or treatment and that the patient has ample opportunity to decide to either consent to the, the, the procedure or the treatment or to refuse it. And you wanna make sure that you are documenting that. You wanna make sure medications and allergies are updated. And that if you're using flow sheets that you're you know, tracking chronic conditions, their well visits, preventative care and immunizations. You wanna make sure that you are documenting any conversations that you're having with the patients or their caregivers. Consistent use of standardized terms and abbreviations. There is a lot of do not use abbreviations. For instance, something along the lines of BID, which is twice a day uh, for most, lay people, they do not know what BID means. And so if you write that say on a prescription, the patient may not know they need to take that medication twice per day. So it's better to spell out take twice per day or two times per day. Um, you wanna avoid those abbreviations that cause confusion. Again, we talked about, you wanna document what is your thought process for the, care, the plan of care for this patient. And if you have a discharge plan in place, if they were hospital-based or you're ending care, what is the discharge plan and the next steps? You wanna make sure that you are using the appropriate ICD-10 billing codes that are also matching your um, documentation in order for you to get paid. And you wanna do a thing called a periodic review of you and your staff's documentation to make sure that everybody's on the same page using the same language and it's standard. And what we see for opportunities are for improvement are in, incomplete information or discrepancies. You were so harried that you didn't finish the note or it was in it was an incomplete note. The appearance of alterations, whether that's through a whiteout or you tried to um, erase the note, um, not so much in a met, in the electronic medical record is that a problem, but trying to delete the note, even though you've deleted the note, it may be removed from your eyesight, but it's not gone from the record. It can be found when they do metadata with just running the data, uh, what they call running metadata in the background. So even though you're hitting delete, doesn't mean it's going away. Not including pertinent conversations that you're having with medical or nursing staff about patients or with the patients and their caregivers. Authenticating entries of other physicians or, or other care team members, especially, and I will talk a little bit about this, if you have a scribe, you wanna make sure that the information that's being scribed in the chart is accurate and, and, and timely. And make sure that if you're still using paper notes that the documents are all secured and you're not using things like post-it notes or things that can fall away from the medical record um, because they're not in there and secured. Another area we see which is pretty much going away now with the electronic medical record was the misfiled patient information and ended up in the wrong patient's chart. Uh, another issue that's going away now with electronic medical records is poor grammar or misspelling, especially if they continually occur and appear to have been copied. I will talk about copying and paste uh, in a little bit, but the most important thing you want to realize is that when you are copying and pasting, the information is accurate that you're copying and pasting. 
you want to make sure that vital signs and other documentations that are in the medical record are not the same over and over again. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that the, the patient's vital signs seven days in a row is, is, is not possible. And that would show that we're just copying and pasting without making sure that the information is correct. Again, we talked about unimproved abbreviations, illegibility. You want to make sure that the next provider of care can understand and read the medical record. Does no good if you're writing in a medical record and nobody can understand the handwriting. You want to make sure that you've got a really robust recall and tracking system in place so that when you send patients out to see other specialists or to get labs or any other types of referrals, that they're not only getting those things done, but you're getting the information back so that you can follow up with the patient to let them know what the results are. You also want to make sure that your access controls and other security is in place, and that has to do with HIPAA with your electronic medical record to make sure that your administrative controls are in place, your physical controls are in place. And again, I talked about the metadata. This is information running in the background that shows where information has been documented, even though it might have been deleted from the screen. And you want to make sure that if you have any patient issues, that they continue to be documented until they are, are taken care of. Copying and paste is also known as cloning or carrying forward. You, there's multiple names for it, but basically it's a previous entries by other physicians or healthcare providers that are carried forward and put into your own entry. There's nothing wrong with that as long as the information is accurate, okay? You wanna make sure that you, like I said earlier, you're not copying and pasting vital signs or things that you've taken care of. So the patient came in, had a problem, it's been taken care of. Um, and it's no longer a problem, but, but we keep copying and pasting it forward that as though it's, it continues to be a problem when it's not. Okay. So you wanna make sure that if you are copying and pasting, the information is accurate. Third-party payers are looking at this, especially Medicare and Medicare, Medicaid. One of the things they look at is that if it's um, sloppy and paste, that it might be substandard care. We hate to do that, but that's what some of our jurors will look at and think, if you were too hasty to document and be sloppy with your copying and pasting, then what kind of care did you give the patient? And that's the kind of the jump that they make. So these are frequent record review findings that we see often when we're out doing uh, documentation visits. The medication allergy fields are left blank, even though there are um, allergies to medications. The allergy or medication list is not current, it's old. Their medical history is out of date. One case we saw, the medical history was 10 years old. Uh, clearly not current. The flow sheets, especially for health maintenance, chronic conditions, well visits and immunizations are left blank or not updated. And you wanna make sure that these flow sheets are very much up to date so that you can make sure the patients are getting the appropriate care that they need. Unprofessional handwritten notes about phone calls, lab work and correspondence without proper review. No resolution of a problem from a previous visit, as we talked about earlier, and lack of narrative notes. It doesn't, never hurts to document as much as you want. You can never over-document, especially if it's explaining your thought process for the care of the patient. Again, tracking and follow-up should be very robust. Physicians and other healthcare providers order about 15 billion lab tests annually. And that is 70% of the medical decisions depend on those um, results that they get that they order. So the old saying goes is, if it was important enough for you to order it, it's important enough for you to own it. You need to make sure that you get the results and then they are communicated back to the patient. This will help prevent lost clinical data, 
patients being lost to follow-up and never coming back. And this is a big issue for misdiagnosis or failed diagnosis. We never want to tell the patient, no news is good news. You want to make sure that tell the patient that, hey, if we haven't gotten back to you in, say, one week or two weeks, call the office to see if your results are in. Make them part of an active member of the care plan. Another is a lack of coordination of referrals. We don't have a good robust tracking system. The results get lost or they go to another provider. We never see them. And then we do not co coordinate referrals with other specialists that the patient may need. We end up with a misdiagnosis or a failure to treat. But you wanna make sure that it's a very robust recall and tracking system that you are using and use it consistently. And you wanna make sure everybody in the office is trained in order to do it so that if Sally Sue is out on vacation, Mary can step in and take over. Informed consent, very important. You wanna make sure that at the very least, you're explaining the nature of the treatment that you're suggesting the patient get, the risks, the possible risks of the treatment of the procedure, the possible complications, expected benefits or effects, and any alternatives, including doing absolutely nothing, okay? So the patient can be explained that they may need to have a surgery of some kind. And after you've spelled out the risk benefits and alternatives, the patient may decide that they don't want to do something um, and their alternative would be not to do it. And you wanna make sure that you document that. You want, always informed consent should be verbally documented by the physician or the provider who is getting the informed consent and also written by the, um, signed by the patient as well. This is your secondary insurance that shows not only did you have that conversation, but the patient would be hard pressed to prove the conversation didn't occur if they signed a consent form. So again, you wanna make sure you have a medical record entry and they signed consent form. Again, as important as informed consent is documenting informed refusal. You wanna make sure that you document an entry in the notes specific to the patient's condition. What is the rationale for the procedure or treatment that you're suggesting the patient have and the reason the patient is refusing if possible and you can go ahead and put that in quotes. So again, the example I use is you suggest that the patient gets a mammogram. The patient says to you, I don't have any insurance. I'm gonna put off getting that mammogram until my insurance kicks in. And you could go ahead and put that in quotes. The reason being is say, for instance, you are you know, suspecting that there's a potential uh, something going on with the patient's breasts um, and that she is uh, lagging on getting the mammogram done. If something comes up and there's a delay in the diagnosis or a misdiagnosis, we can show that the patient actively chose not to do something that was requested of her. So again, we want it to be in writing and um, as, as objectable and in quotes if possible. So telephone medicine, again, is you want to make sure that because you're talking with the patient on the phone and you're not seeing them face to face, that you don't have those visual clues you would normally have. So you want to make sure that you are um, setting up the call so that the patient can speak to you freely uh, without interruptions. And you want to make sure you're documenting all telephone calls you have with patients, excluding, of course, the ones that are just um, calling to just verify an appointment time. Um, but you also want to include after hour phone calls, especially after hour phone calls, if you've um, prescribed a medication, ordered them to go to the hospital, come into the office the next day, whatever. They are all part of the patient's care and should be documented in the patient's medical record. Emailing, if you are going to email, should be encrypted. Um, and you wanna be able to control access of the transmitted information, inform the patient um, who in the practice can access the email. You wanna also confirm the patient's email address 
um, to make sure that you have the appropriate and correct one on, on file. And you also want to let the patient know that there always will be that opportunity for either the, someone to intercept that email or go to the wrong person and that um, they are willing to take that risk and if you can get that in writing from the patient. You want to make sure you preserve the email integrity, so you want to be copying these emails and getting them um, put into the patient's medical record, whether it's electronic or paper. And you also want to make sure that um, the, the, the lawful information is only um, in patient's authorization for super confidential. This would be psychotherapy notes, uh, drug and alcohol information, uh, uh, certain sexual information so that you want to double check with your state laws to make sure that um, there's certain information that would be kept um, even more confidential than the normal patient record. Texting again is another thing like an email right now it cannot be copied and put into the patient's medical record so you will need to transcribe what went on in the text um, and, and actually type that into the medical record or handwrite it into a paper medical record. It is strongly discouraged to text patients um, up with information because of the fact that there's a 140 um, character limit um, and people often use abbreviations. In one case, we had a case where the patient, the physician um, texted the patient and said F-U-S-O-B. The patient meant follow up for shortness of breath. That's not how the patient uh, read it. So you want to make sure you're very careful with your abbreviations. You want to limit it to the critical information. Make sure your texting is also encrypted. Control access to who has information to that. Again, you want to make sure that you take that text information and it's typed into the patient's medical record. You want to include um, all texts with patients and other physicians or staff members that are pertaining to that patient. So if you're going to be using a medical scribe, which a lot of physicians are using these days, um, you want to make sure that the medical scribe's role and responsibility are spelled out. What the Joint Commission says is that a medical scribe um, should not be a medical um, assistant at the same time. So if on Monday and Wednesday, Mary is going to be your medical scribe nine to five, she should not be your medical assistant as well. But she can be your medical assistant on Tuesdays and Thursdays if she's not scribing. The reason being is they don't, there's concern legally for role confusion. Um, and also a medical scribe will probably have more access to information in the patient's medical record than a medical assistant or a front office person. So that also is an area of legality. So you want to make sure the scribe knows their role and responsibility, that you are managing and monitoring the scribe, that you're familiar with all the legal and regulatory considerations, what the documentation guidelines are, education and qualifications, and also that the patient is educated. If you are using a scribe, you are required to ask the patient or the patient's caregiver, if they're under the age of 18, to allow the scribe in the room. If the patient says it's okay, then that's fine. The, the scribe can come in the room. If the patient or their caregiver denies having the scribe in the room, um, the, the scribe may not enter the room. It's up to the patient. But most importantly, you want to make sure that you are authenticating what the scribe is writing. The patient, the scribe cannot order medication, cannot order procedures or anything. They can only transcribe what you're telling them to say in the medical record. And then you as the provider of care are responsible for making sure that it's an authenticated medical note and that you're signing off on it. And with that, I want to thank you so much for attending our documentation webinar with the Mutual Insurance Company of Arizona.